0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life, freedom, choice, and abundance. And Gabby, (laughs) how are you? My my name's Goose. My name's Goose. My
1: name's Gabby, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cook time. Nah, it's good. It's good. Good. Gabby, what did we talk about
0: today? What did we talk about today?
1: We talked about cash flow. We talked about yields. So prices are going up but rents are also going up but yields are going down and so what effect does that have on cash flow yeah, yeah. No, that's basically it we talked about yeah <laughs> we
0: talked we talked about we talked about all of that kind of stuff the fact that yields are going yields are going down rents are going up vacancy rates are going down there's less stock on market people are moving from all over the country and going to different places what's going on how can you as an investor navigate a low yield environment and still come out on top That's the question. How can you adjust your mindset to adapt to a lower-yield environment to make sure you're still investing for success? We're talking about that. So this is a big one because yields are way lower than they've been um, ever, in fact, is the lowest they've been. And so if you want to be a successful investor in today's market, understanding the mechanics of this and understanding how to adapt your mindset to shift to this environment is the critical piece and I know you're going to get quite a lot out of it so without any further ado let's get stuck right into it shall we shall we Gabby Shall we get stuck let's into do it? it
1: let's go let's do it
0: okay <laughs> guys we'll see you on the inside hey guys welcome back to the Investor Lab you're with your pals Goose and Gabby Gabby how are you your pals
1: your pals your pals uh, yeah, fun, yeah? I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm, I'm good, thanks. What's been going on? we
1: have just been having some tech issues over here.
0: We have been having some tech issues. You guys wouldn't know this, but we just basically <laughs> recorded about half an episode and had a complete tech meltdown. So here we are. Here we are again.
1: Take two. Better take, take
0: two. Takes. This is me asking Gabby for the second time. Hey, Gabby, how are you? What have you been doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, mate. I'm good. There's there's so much happening at the moment, and it's it's awesome. Lots of stuff happening with Dash Dot. Lots of awesome clients. Mm. Lots of new clients. Lots of repeat clients. So clients that are wanting to buy their next kind of keep growing their portfolio, which is amazing. Yep. Um, our team are awesome. It's just really cool to see everyone like really like it's quite a busy period at the moment, and everyone's really just mm. loving it and thriving, and it's it's really cool. So yeah, yeah. how are you? What's news? person i haven't seen in forever
0: (laughs) (laughs) life's great life's awesome yeah life's awesome i thrive i thrive on um, challenges and problem solving and yeah there's lots of really cool stuff going on um as you mentioned there's great stuff happening with dashdot what i am in love with at the moment is that we're you know, delivering an amazing service and and getting amazing results for our clients despite lots of challenges in the marketplace, and I'm I'm really proud of that, and that's really awesome. Um, I, I'm also really enjoying the problem solving in the property market, right? Which is actually one of the things we kind of want to talk about today, um, and some of the stuff that's going on there. So, I'm good. Well, what are we going to dig into today, Gabby?
1: <laughs> We're going to talk about cash flow, um, specifically around kind of the current market and the current changes to cash flow because obviously like if, if, if for anyone that listens to the podcast you know there's the holy trinity which is generally what we recommend people buy for which is positive cash flow high growth there is value add potential um, and so cash flow positive is becoming increasingly more difficult at the moment um, not just for us but just in the current market and I think this is just an interesting topic to, to bring up I know you've been digging into it quite a bit just figuring out what is actually changing in the market based on you know, prices generally going up everywhere, really, mm. and how, how that's affecting yields and cash flows. So, yeah.
0: Totally. How's this for a paradox, right? <laughs> yes. We'll have a, let's start with a good paradox, <laughs> right? And well, that was a good paradox. If you go into the past and discover your, your, your previous self, you die in the fit. No, no, it's a different paradox. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how's this for a what paradox? Rents are rising at the fastest rate ever, ever. For, for certainly ever that I've seen in the, in what I've looked at in the data, but yields are lower and they're decreasing at a rapid rate. How does that work?
1: Yeah, it seems contradictory, doesn't it? It does seem
0: contradictory. So one of the one of the challenges we face um, as investors generally, but also more specifically as well with our clients as well, because we've developed a pretty solid track record of getting ridiculous rents and stupid levels of growth, so much so that most people think that what we say if we get in our results is um, not true, um, which is a great problem to have. But the thing is, market conditions have been changing. They've been changing really, really, really fast, right? So earlier earlier in this year, we were systematically able to get you know yields anywhere between 6 and 9%, really, right? It was a bit of a broad spectrum, um, but it was good, you know? It's good. Times were good. It's a bit more challenging at the moment because um, because property prices going up. So yields are a function of rents versus property the uh, versus purchase price, right? So all, all yields are is a is a ratio representation between the amount of rent you get and the and the par- price you paid for the property. It's pretty pretty simple, right? Now what's actually happening is obviously prices are going up. Uh, and therefore, yields are going down. So, if prices go up and rents stay the same, then yields go down. Right? Pretty simple, right? So, if you buy a five hundred thousand dollar property that's uh, renting at four hundred and eighty dollars a week, that's going to be about five percent yield. If you bought a six hundred thousand dollar property and it's renting at four hundred and eighty bucks a week, that's going to be a I don't know, four percent yield or something like that. I have to go and double check the maths, but it would be lower, right? Yeah. So. So it's pretty easy to kind of understand. Oh, okay. Well, if prices are going up, maybe that's why yields are going down. But here's the interesting thing: rents are going up too. They're going up really fast, right? And I think one of the one of the challenges that uh, investors face right now is um, they run the risk of chasing the wrong metrics, i.e., yields, uh, and actually potentially ending up in the ending up buying assets which might not be the best long term strategic. Uh, assets for them to buy, right? So I think I think this is a really relevant conversation to have. Um, but it's an re- interesting one to try and understand and understand why. So there's a few things in there, you know, why why are yields down? Uh, how much are they down? Are they going to be down forever? What areas are affected? What does it mean for cash flow? And and how can we how can we start to think about cash flow a little bit differently over the short term to make sure we can get to where we want to go? So that's kind of the stuff that I want to tackle. Where do you want to start?
1: Yeah. So if we dig into, I guess. Just, just the high level like yields are down but rents are up mm. like how how is that possible what kind of what kind of growth rates are happening there yeah um yeah
0: so I don't have all of the growth rates like as in property price growth rates I admit
1: uh, sorry the growth in yields and growth in rent yeah
0: yeah yeah that's okay yeah yeah so what I want I did pull together some numbers for this episode because I thought we'd really dig in good to dig into some of the numbers Um yeah. I haven't got pri- I haven't gotten price growth with it, but it's really interesting to understand yields versus rents. I think that's kind of like a really key thing to understand. So let's look at capital cities first, right? Because in capital cities, so national eight capital cities nationally, yields have dropped from 3% to 2.6%, which is a 13.3% drop in yields, right? Which is pretty significant. That's over a 20-month measurement period, right? So if we take that to a per-month rate, that's 0.665% per calendar month that, that yields are dropping in, in capital cities, right? But at the same time, rents over the same period, over that same measurement window, rents have risen by 2.1% from 569 to $581, okay? So rents have gone up, right? Mm-hmm. But prices have just gone up faster, right? Which is why the yields have gone down relatively, Okay. If we take another view, if we take another uh, another view, if we kind of look at it um, nationally, though, right? Nationally, there's been a 21% increase in rents over the last 17 months, right? So national national median rents have risen from $440 to $536, right? Which is an increase of 1.23% per calendar month, or over a 12-month period, 15% per annum, which is massive. Which is massive. Like rents, like I was looking at, uh, I was looking at a graph of rents and it was like, you know, basically like three to 5% growth rate every year or whatever, like pretty, pretty nominal. And that hit, then it hit sort of May, 2020 and it just went bang, like, like an inflection mm-hmm. point. So, so that's pretty unique, right? So what. So even though nationally, outside of the capital cities, rents rents are increasing by 21%. So there's a really interesting thing to pick apart there, right? So if capital city rents are only have only increased by 2.1%, but national rents have increased by 21%, or, or let's say, because there are different measurement windows, let's say this in a different way. If national... Um, yeah, if yeah, if 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 yeah, well yeah, basically leave it as it is, right? So if national rents are, if national rents have risen risen by significantly more than capital city rents, what does that mean? It means that most of the rents are rising outside of the capital cities, right? So they're rising in regional areas, right? That, and there's a, there's a big there's a big clue as to what's going on, okay. So, does it, did you do you, you want to kind of dig into any of that a little bit further to make sure I'm explaining it? Because I know that sometimes I have the curse of knowledge and I kind of gloss over things and maybe don't explain them very clearly. So I reeled off some numbers there, but does it make sense to you? Are there any gaps in that for you?
1: Um, I'm just I'm just showing over the like that increase of rents like 21% yeah. in 17 months is huge. You know? Yeah, that's a 15% run rate per annum. Like, that's why I, I'd imagine the normal increase would be like 5%. 3 to 5. 3,
0: three to three five, 5 on average.
1: Yeah. 3 five. to 5 on
0: average. I'm a, I'm actually a firm believer that um, for the foreseeable future, rents are going to be growing per year faster than they ever have before. I don't think they're going to keep growing at 15%. Um, but the statistical average over the last, whatever, 20, 30 years is about between 3 and 5%. Annual growth rate for rents, um, but I'm a, I'm a firm believer because of low supply. Because at the moment we've got supply side um, inflation, which is you know basically supply shortages. They can't build, they can't build more houses. We've got a massive housing shortage. We're hundreds of thousands of houses short. You know there's there's a there's a, there's a government push to try and get two two million migrants, um, migrant work skilled migrant workers to come into Australia. They're all going to need places to live. I'm, I'm a firm believer that rents are going to rise faster at a, at a faster average growth rate per year than they ever have before, probably somewhere between 5 and 10% a year or five between 5 and 7% a year. Like, I, I think it's going to be significantly higher. Um, but over the kind of like short term, so over the sort of last, you know, 17 months, they've risen by 1.23% per calendar month. And as we said, that's 15% a year. And is that likely to continue into the next year? Pretty, you know, like maybe not exactly that, but probably pretty close, right? Um which is, very, which is very interesting, right? Because if yields are a function of rents versus property prices and if rents are going up by you know, 1.23% per calendar month, if you could stop property prices growing, what would happen to your yields?
1: Yeah, take off. They'd take off. They'd go through the roof to the
0: moon, right? And so that might sound like a stupid question. How can you stop property prices growing? Well- you buy one, right? Because if you buy a property, you freeze the value that you purchased it at, at that moment in time, right? So if if property prices are increasing by, you know, 10, 10, let's say they're increasing by 20% a year, right? Which is not wholly true, but um, let's say they're increasing by twenty percent a year and rents are increasing by fifteen percent a year. If you can buy a property and it stops you, you the per the price you pay for it isn't changing the value is changing but the price you paid for it doesn't change the rents are going to continue to increase obviously if you've got renters you can't just like increase the rent every month right but over a 12 month period your rents are going to increase relative to your purchase price and that's going to change the economic profile of your property right so I believe that it is in uh, investors' best interests to be significantly open to sacrificing short-term yields for longer-term yield opportunities, right? And I think there's a big there's a big thing there. If you look at the average uh, median yield trend through through uh, capital cities, it's been declining for years, right? because rents just aren't going up that fast. But if you go to some major regional centres, and if you look at their, their, their statistical average rental yield over the last twelve months, or even twenty-four months, or three years, you might find that normally yields in a any given location, you know, in you know, a let's just some let's just say a regional centre, yields in that regional centre might be say an average of six six and a half seven percent yield and right now they might be five and a half percent yield right so do you think do you think that that is really a function that rents have fallen off a cliff and the yield will never recover or is it purely a function that property prices are rising faster than faster than rents i think it's the latter right Mm -hmm. and so if you can make intelligent investing decisions about getting into the right place at the right time and you're prepared to take a like a a slightly delayed cash flow view i think you're going to set yourself up pretty well so I'll put some kind of numbers around that. I want to dig into like why this is happening as well. But just to put some numbers around that, if you were to buy a $500,000 property at $481 a week uh, in rent, right, that'd be a 5% yield. Now, if the rents continue to grow by uh, 15% a year, then that would that in 12 months time, your rent would be up at $553 a week, which would change that from a 5% yield to a 5.75% yield. Right, which is pretty significant. So, so if you can buy, so if you buy a property today at five and a half percent yield, and then, and in twelve months' time, it's going to be six or six and a half percent yield like that seems like, a pretty, that seems like a pretty wise opportunity for me, particularly when yields are compressing nationwide. Like some areas have seen 13% or 15% or 20% um, compression in yield. which doesn't make them a bad place to buy properties, right? Like, if they've got all the right fundamentals and they're also going to continue to grow and they're going to provide g- good, long-term, stable uh, investment uh, fundamentals, it makes absolute perfect sense, right? It just means yeah. we need to rethink short-term cash flow. That's all it means.
1: Yeah. So if your ideal would be to look for something that's like six and a half percent. but at the moment, a similar kind of property with all the other um aspects to it, you're probably gonna find about five, five and a half. Mm. And so if you're saying, Okay, it's just it's just kind of the market at the moment, get in when it's five and a half and it's gonna the rents will go up and the will over the Or
0: five. I'd be happy to buy it five, but yeah, go on, sorry.
1: Yeah, all good. Um Like, how how do you know that the rents are going to increase? Like, if you're an investor that's like, okay, I understand that yields aren't as strong at the moment, so I'll just get in at five, how do you know that that particular property that you're buying in, in that particular market, is actually going, the rents are going to consistently go up?
0: Mm, That is a really good question, Gabby. Um, So, firstly... um, what I would say is speak to a professional. Like you know, for example, like what we're doing with our clients is—is is we're looking at this kind of stuff all the time, right? We got a very good finger on the pulse that rents are rising. We're also looking at the amount of jobs going into an area versus the relative supply and what are the long-term fundamentals, right? The things that drive up um, property price, uh, drive up rental prices are uh, migration, so people moving to an area for the first time because they start renting there before they buy there, uh, jobs growth. And, you know, and you can kind of see it in lower vacancy rates and vacancy rates going down as well, right? So when you look at some of these kind of things, you've really got to look at what is the what is the total available rental supply. And it's quite interesting, actually, because a, a lot of people think, oh, investors are bad people and they drive up rents and they do all this kind of stuff. But actually what's happened in Sydney recently is really interesting because property prices are generally driven by homeowners, owner-occupiers. They generally drive prices up what's been happening in sydney is a lot of investors have been selling out of the market and a lot of owner occupiers have been buying into the market which means that the total available rental stock is lower right which is actually driving up rents um particularly in in you know, in in some parts of Sydney, it's driving up rents and it's actually creating more of a housing crisis, right? So there's an interesting thing there that investors actually create balance in the ecosystem. So some of the other things you can look for on that front is you can look at what are the percentage, what's the percentage of renters or, yeah, what is the percentage of renters in the area versus owner-occupiers? You know, we're typically looking for Less than fifty percent, you know. Ideally, less than forty percent. Um, you know, we want to see it balanced more towards owner occupiers, so there is more constrained supply in terms of in terms of renters in the area. Now, did I kind answer that question for you, Gabby?
1: Yeah. So just to, just to clarify, if if you're seeing like one of the factors to look for would be that owner occupier percentage, yeah, in an area is increasing, that would mean that the supply of rental properties is decreasing, so the rents will.
0: I wouldn't necessarily say you would need to see the owner-occupier percentage increasing, right? What you want to see in an area is that there are is at least 50% owner-occupiers, mm-hmm. right? Preferably yeah. more, right? You're probably not going to see that trend change a lot, right? So you're probably not going to see a huge change in that trend. So you want to see that that's the state of the market. Right, that there's constrained supply and there's not an oversupply in that area of uh, rental opportunities. You also want to, You also want to see. Um Significant increase in economic opportunities and reasons for people to move there. So the whole opportunity of location selection, lifestyle, affordability, and and jobs. So you want to see all of those factors playing into it. Why people are moving there. You also want to see you know a shift in a shift in demand. So the way you would see a shift in demand is you would see low, vacancy rates going lower, which means that there's higher levels of occupancy. More people are trying to get rental properties. Um, and you also need to use a little bit of local knowledge as well to see what's happening there too. So, um. You know, nationally, vacancy rates have dropped by 15% um, just in the last 12 months, have dropped from 2% to 1.7%. Now, in practice, obviously, not every location is going to be a good place to buy, and not every location is going to have rents going up, right? So, but in practice, what is happening is that a lot of regional centers are, are receiving an influx of migrants, right? From 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 the cities and other parts of the country, and that's driven by a few things. That's not just driven by like, hey, I can work on Zoom and I'm going to move off to some country location because Yahoo sounds good. Um, it's actually driven by lots of other things, like largely the decentralisation of of the economy, uh, investment in in regional infrastructure, all of this kind of stuff to kind of move people out of the cities because cities can't handle the population. So um, there's also there's also Uh, another factor as well, right, that is actually driving rents up as well, and that's available stock on market, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's currently less properties to buy, right? So even if people want to buy them, they might not be able to buy them. And not everyone can buy a property. This is why it's important for investors to have rental properties because not everyone can afford to buy a house, right? Like it's just, this is not possible. So,
1: Sorry, just when you say less available stock, mm.
0: what,
1: what do you mean less? Like less compared to what?
0: Less compared to um, this time last year. Less compared to a 10-year average. So if we so stock on market right is a measure of how many properties are for sale at any given point in time, and it's measured over a month, right? So it's, two, it's measured in months, right? So so on average over the last 10 years, there's about there's been about 350,000 properties for sale. Every month, right? That's the ten-year average, about three hundred and fifty. Now, if we look, if we look at um, the September averages over the last four years, so September twenty eighteen had three hundred and thirty-five thousand eight hundred and fifty-four properties for sale in September twenty eighteen. In September twenty nineteen, it was three hundred and twelve thousand seven hundred and fifty-four. In September twenty twenty, it was two hundred and eighty-nine thousand six hundred and twenty-one. So it's a bit of a drop. In September twenty twenty-one it was 214,566. So, so that means just in the last 12 months, there's 25.9% less properties available to buy nationwide. And in fact, that's 38.6% lower than the national average. So there's a huge, huge dearth of properties, right? There's just not enough properties to buy, right? And we also have a housing crisis. There's not enough there's not enough houses for people to live in anyway. We've got too many people, right? Well, we've got not enough houses. is actually the better way of putting that, right? So that is naturally driving people to to try and rent and pay higher prices for rents, right? And that's what's driving rents up as well. You do need to look at the fundamentals, though. You need to look at why people are going where and people aren't just going to move somewhere just because there's a house, right? So, you know, there are... There are loads of tiny little regional towns which don't have anything going for them and probably on the way out um it doesn't mean it's where people want to live as well so does that kind of give you some optics on on the, the stock issue
1: yeah and i mean even if you just kind of zoom out a little bit and think about the current you know state of the world still and it's like there still is a lot of uncertainty and i think you know you and you and terry rider talk about the exodus to affordability and lifestyle. So Mm. there is that factor where people are moving to have a preference of better affordability and a better lifestyle, right? So um, as you said, not just because they can have Zoom calls and and do their work from wherever, Mm. but also just people's values are changing in terms of where do I actually wanna live? And part of that, I would imagine, and we've talked about this before, is um, when people move to an area, they're more likely to rent than they are to buy, at least initially, because they want to test out what it's like living there. Do I want to live in this street? Do I want to live around that kind of neighbourhood? Um, and that, that's kind of playing out in terms of these um, low vacancy rates, right? So more people are choosing to rent as opposed to buy mm. when you're occupied.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So there's also there's also some other factors in there as well, and one of the so there's there's a bunch of reasons that people are moving um, to the country. But I actually kind of want to touch on what that actually looks like, right? So just in the last, so from March twenty twenty to March twenty twenty one. 43,646 people voluntarily moved away from Sydney, right? So that wasn't the total change in population because I took out deaths and births, right? Because they're just natural events. I said, well, how many people have voluntarily moved out of Sydney? So there was 31,646 internal. So they moved from Sydney to somewhere else in the country and uh, 12,000 went overseas, right? And in Melbourne, it was 32,203 moved from Melbourne and to other parts of the country, and 49,205 went overseas. So that's 81,408 people left. Wow. Um, Yeah, 81,408 people voluntarily moved away from Melbourne between March 2020 and March 2021, which is massive, right? And so... Aside from the people that are obviously moving overseas, where people are going is they're moving to they're moving to the regions, right? They're moving to major regional centres where they can have a better lifestyle, have better access to jobs. There's a lot of investment outside government spending that is going into regional areas. A lot of public spending, uh, so private spending that's going into those areas. But at the moment, there's forty-two thousand one hundred forty-two vacant residential dwellings in Sydney and Melbourne, which is two and a half times more. Than the entire rest of the country, right? The entire rest of the country has sixteen thousand seven hundred and fourteen vacant residential dwellings, right?
1: Wow. So there's
0: two, there's two point five times more vacant residential dwellings in Sydney and Melbourne than there is in the entire rest of the country, right? Which 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 gives weight to the fact that nationally uh rents have risen 21% over the last 17 months, or at a rate of 1.2 three percent per calendar month and um and rents in capital cities have been have only increased in 2.1 over a 20 month period so much much slower rate now that's all well and good. So we can understand. Okay, well, that's kind of giving us some color into like what's going on and why. Right now, the the stock availability thing, I think, is something that really needs really needs a bit of uh, focus and attention as well, because it is literally just harder to buy a property right now. Right, it's taking longer. It's harder to buy good stuff, and you know, there are less people selling, and there's more demand, and this is why prices are going up, and all that kind of stuff. And when you've got when you've got thirty eight point six percent less properties. Than there are compared to the ten-year average to buy, this makes it a lot harder to buy, right? So that makes it a bit of a challenge. Now, one of the ways that, um, one of the ways that we are thinking about cash flow and we are thinking about yields and how to navigate the short-term um, gap, and again, it's all about anchoring the purchase price, right? So if you can buy a price property today and rents continue to rise, then your yield changes over time. Right, so you can very well buy a property today, and it could uh, th- at five percent, and, and in two years it could be a seven percent yield, or a six and a half to seven percent yield. In three years, it could be an eight percent yield, depending on how, on how fast uh, rents continue to rise. Right now, another really important thing to understand is um, the tax deductibility of some of the expenses in a property as well, but, and how that affects cash flow. Now, I don't want to kind of touch on this too much because. Guess what, guys? This is not financial advice. We're, <laughs> we're not licensed. We're not licensed. We are not licensed not to provide any not tax advice, not financial advice. Oh, and, oh, and, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, go and speak to a financial professional, and um, <laughs> you know all of that kind of stuff. So don't sue us. It's all good. Now, but what what <laughs> what, what 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 a lot of property investors forget though is that um, they have tax deductible expenses as part of the operating uh, part of the operating expenses of the property, right? Mm-hmm. And that's real money. It's real cash. Now, if you get creative with your accountant, you can actually get your tax deductions paid out like weekly or monthly or something, right? So you can basically turn your tax deductions into real-time cash flow. That's something you absolutely need to talk to your accountant about. I don't know how that works, right? But I know that you can (laughs) do it. Um...
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh... (laughs) That's that's about my
0: pay grade, right? But... um... But in in a, in a real sense, there are a lot of things that, that investors can uh, claim as tax deductions, and so what that means is that they either get cash back, either on a monthly, weekly basis if you can coordinate that with your accounts, or on an annual basis when you do your tax return, or it reduces your tax bill, which is essentially. You know, which is essentially cash anyway. It's just less money you have to pay out, right? So it's just saving. Now, the way to think about that is, you know, a lot of the expenses of your property. So things like the interest you pay, um, you know, property management, rates, maintenance, you know, any of the expenses, any of the cash expenses for your property are things that you can potentially claim tax deductions on. So let's just say you were to buy a $500,000 property at a 5% yield, right? So that'd be $481 a week in rent. Now, if you're on an 80% principal and interest loan at a 3% interest rate, that technically, uh, once you factor in all of your expenses, so property management, insurance, rates, water, maintenance, all loan loan interest, you know, principal payments, the whole shoot and match, right? You're going to be looking at being negative cash flow by around about 4 grand a year, bearing in mind that um, $8,351 would be going into principal payments, right? So, but let's just assume for a moment you want to pay principal and interest. If you were to to use your marginal tax rate of 37%, right, to claim back on some of your cash expenses, that would mean that you would get about $7,700 back in your tax, which would shift you from being about four grand negative to about three and a half grand positive on your property, right? And this is, I think, a really, really important thing to understand because... As we always say, real estate's a game of finance, right? And it's really about understanding the numbers. Okay. So there's a couple of ways people can tackle, I think, um, low yield environments, which is what we're in, right? We're in a low yield environment and it's temporary and it's going to pass. And the faster you buy, the quicker your yields are going to go up, basically. Like it's that, it's kind of that simple. But because we're in a low yield environment and that's just part of the nature of the, the current market, there are two ways, I think, to approach it. Number one, Focus on getting interest-only loans. Again, not financial advice. I'm just putting some ideas out there about how to navigate this, right? So you could either uh, focus on getting interest-only loans to increase your current cash flow whilst you allow yields to readjust on your properties right and that will allow you to target lower yields, which would mean that you could also open up better opportunities to target markets which way, which may provide better growth and better long-term sustainability and make and be better strategic choices for your portfolio even though they're going to be lower yields right Because that's just the, that's just the environment we're in. So you can either set your loans up to be interest only so that you don't have to um, potentially expose yourself to a short-term cash flow deficit. And then allow the yields to rise. And then, over in, you know, it could be a two or three or a five year interest only period on your loan. Then, once that switches back, the rents will have risen, yields will be where they need to be, and you'll be sweet, you'll be cash flow positive. Obviously, you need to do some analysis on that to make sure that's going to work on the property and the interest rates and all of that kind of stuff. But that's one way of doing it focus on interest only loans. The other way to do it would be to um, consider the the tax. the tax deductions that you can claim as genuine cash flow, which is something that we do, right, and and something that we look at because it is real cash and it is real tax to get back, and then that will change the profit loss of your property on any given point in time. Well, you can do both. You can do interest only and then claim all the expenses back and just be wallowing in cash. What do you think about all that, Gabby?
1: Yeah, because I was thinking about you could also, like one angle would be as well to have a lower LVR, if you, if you have the funds to put in a bigger deposit, but then also you are putting more of your deposit into one property as opposed to maybe two, if that's part of your strategy. Yeah. Um. Whereas obviously, if you have a lower LVR, your repayments will be slightly lower. So your cash flow will look a little bit better
0: mm. um,
1: if that is your main priority. But if your priority is to, you know, maybe buy a, a couple of properties over the next few years, maybe you prefer to maximize your LVR, get a higher LVR, and then put those funds into another property instead. So,
0: yeah, totally. And look, if you're going to increase your debt levels, so if you're going to operate with a higher LVR, like 90% LVR, then you should probably go interest only because you're entering into a lower yield environment. So if you're if you're doing 90% principal and interest, it's pretty. You can definitely still get the yields that are going to cover um, that and make it cash flow positive, like genuine cash flow positive. So after all expenses, the problem is you're probably going to end up buying in places that aren't going to make sense long term. They're probably not going to be the best strategic locations to buy. So I think it's really about cooking it down and going, okay, well, let's look at the Holy Trinity, right? So there's three elements to the Holy Trinity, cash flow growth and the ability to add value, right? So in this kind of environment, you need to you need to understand which one are you optimizing for. Now we're in a high growth environment and a low yield environment. That's just the nature of where we're at cyclically, right? So if we can optimize the growth over the short term, right, and then compensate their yields by adjusting how we're approaching the aspects of finance and tax and things like that to make it to make it cash flow efficient so that we still get what we need out of it that's going to move us further forward faster now as long as you're not reaching your borrowing capacity limits now that's a whole another discussion there's a lot of changes going on there uh, and then yields will catch up and they and then you know buying five or five and a half or six percent yielding properties today we're going to, are going to turn into you know Six, seven, eight percent yielding properties over the next few years. So you're going to be basically building in future cash flows into your portfolio. So I think there's really some opportunities here for people to reframe the way they're thinking about this. To adjust for current market conditions, because I can, I can absolutely tell you for certain, right, that in order to succeed in life, in business, in real estate, you have to be flexible. You have to be ready to adjust. You have to be ready to change your mindset in order to succeed. Because if you stay, you want to be, you want to be, you want to be, you know, flexible like grass, so you bend over in the breeze, not brittle like a you know, like a big hard tree, like a gum tree or something that's going to snap, right? Because that's the thing that's going to break you. If you get so rigid in your viewpoints of like, no, 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 must be 8% yield, must be 8% yield, and you're not changing your mindset to meet the current market conditions, you're going to find yourself probably either not buying properties because it's going to, and therefore you're going to lose out a lot on opportunity cost in terms of growth and all of the other factors. Or buying the wrong properties in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not now. That's not absolutely true because we are still buying some properties which are high yields. So it's not just to say if it is high yield, it's wrong, right? But it but it is to say that if you have a focus in the wrong area, you may end up driving yourself over into areas that you that aren't going to make sense for you long term.
1: Yeah, and I guess just like circling back to the low low stocker market as well, right? It's like mm. if you're really rigid in your own purchase brief of like 8% yield or whatever. um, If you're really rigid in that, like there is just the reality of there are less available properties to purchase at the moment. So you actually, if you keep holding out and holding out and holding out, like I'm stuck on, this is what I want. um, You may just end up missing out and prices are going to keep going up. Yeah, and it's like, I hate to to stir up like FOMO because I hate when people kind of do that. But there is an element of that where less properties are on market at the moment less people are selling their um assets at the moment so you may end up just missing out
0: yeah totally there's yeah and it's getting lower right so the trend is down right and and the problem that the problem that we face as a nation is a lack of supply right and and it's driven, that's driven, we've kind of talked about it before. It's it's driven by a lack of building approvals, but it's also driven by a lack of available materials to build and a whole bunch of other stuff, right? So we've got a huge deficit in terms of the available number of properties in the country. It's getting worse, which is what's driving prices up as well. And so I don't know that waiting is going to be in the best interests of many people, um, particularly not waiting for yields to go back up. I think that that would be a mistake. I think that'd be a big mistake. Um, you know, sometimes it's important to play a longer game and not a shorter one. And you know, we often say to people as well, like, you might want cash flow, but that's not the focus in the short term. You know, your cash flow goal should be over, over a five or a ten year period. And particularly if rents continue to, if rents continue to rise at a faster rate, right, that's going to change fundamentally change um, people's cash flow uh, at the end of a ten year period. So let's say you buy a five hundred thousand dollar property um, today right? On a 5% yield. And let's just say over the next 10 years, the average rental growth rate is 7% and that compensates for, you know, maybe some faster short-term growth and all of that kind of stuff. By the end of year 10, that property is going to be producing about $15,000 a year in net, fully net cash flow after expenses. So after rates, water, property management, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so, if you can play a five or a ten-year game and make really strong strategic moves and play play chess, not checkers, in this kind of environment, that's what's going to set you up for long-term success. Um, and I think that's kind of the big message at the moment because it can seem a little bit it can seem a little bit frothy, like oh, property prices. Are, oh my god, they're going up and yields are going down. What do I do? Is it like am I buying too late? Why can't I get the yields? Am I going to do it? Make to make a mistake? Should I buy in? Kuber PD guys, if you want really high yield, go to Kuba PD. I just looked it up. It's about 35% yield in Kuber P D and a vacancy rate of 3.2%. And the median, the median, the median price is about 40 grand, right? So you could go and buy in Kuba PD get 35% yield. Um, don't know about the growth drivers. So don't take that as investment advice. Um, but certainly I think that can people like people could people could seriously. Um, steer themselves in the wrong way. Like I often say to people or clients, you know, sometimes when you're sailing, when you're sailing on calm seas with the wind at your back, you've got a lot of margin for error. You can doesn't matter if you kind of veer a little bit left and a little bit right. You're going in the right direction. You have got the wind at your back, calm seas. You're just cruising. Life's good. But sometimes when you get environments like this, it's like you're sailing at night through a dark mist uh, under a new moon, and you're not quite sure how to make the right choices and it can feel a little bit choppy and you know things can feel make you feel a little bit uneasy and this is the time to start thinking really strategically about how you make strong powerful moves rather than reactionary moves and this is the time where you need to really take stock and take time to reassess and go okay what matters to me most and how am I going to move in that direction and how do I need to change my mindset over the short term in order to achieve those outcomes because yeah I mean the 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 numbers, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, rents are rising at an unprecedented rate, um, but also yields are falling at an unprecedented rate. But rents are rising faster than yields are falling. Interestingly enough, right? Um, so it's really about capturing your moment in time and being able to accept a lower yield today in order to create significant future cash flow tomorrow. And if you're concerned about the cash, the short-term cash flow implications, well, what if you know? What if my property is doesn't produce fully net cash flow after all expenses, then you've got a couple of options. You need to look at what what are the tax opportunities for you? Can you can you claim any of the operating expenses back? And is that going to contribute to your annual cash flow for the for the property? And in most cases, that's going to turn a property from negative to positive in a really significant way, particularly if you're around 5% yield. Uh, and also how can you think about your loan structures so that you can potentially delay paying down the principal so that you can keep short-term cash flow in order to maintain buoyancy in your portfolio whilst you navigate these slightly choppier seas. And that's what's going to allow you to keep moving forward without hitting a rock. Awesome. I think we've kind of gone right in this episode. I think we've covered a fair bit of ground. we covered
1: a lot, yeah.
0: we covered a lot. So just let's let's recap a little bit. So we covered um, yields and what's happening with yields. We covered what's happening with rents. We also talked about the fact that vacancy rates are 15% lower over the last 12 months. We talked about the fact that there's 25.9% 25.9% lower stock on less stock on market than there was 12 months ago, and 38.6% less than the 10-year average. we talked about the ridiculous amount of people moving out of Sydney and Melbourne to other parts of the country, and that's what's driving up national uh, rents and, and lowering national vacancy rates outside of the capitals. Um, and that's driven by you know a lot of the economic fundamentals that we've talked about in a lot of other episodes as well. And We've talked about the fact that sh- the short-term yield situation will pass because rents are rising so fast. So if you can capture a moment in time, then that's what's going to set out for the future. Did we miss anything, Gabby?
1: Probably. <laughs> no, I think this is I think this is awesome. Um, not to not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think <laughs> I don't know, I think it's an important conversation for people to to wrap their heads around because you know the the just the cycle and the stage that we're in at the moment. This is the reality of what's happening, and I just don't want people to get fixated on. No, this is the strategy that I've determined and then just getting stuck on that and really just if they can start thinking more about this and being a bit more flexible, like the grass, as you said, um, yeah. they're going to be able to keep moving, moving ahead to where they want to go. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, grass grass bends in the breeze and it doesn't break, right? big, Big solid trees to break yeah and it, the, the tricky thing is as well like so is for some people who've started on their property buying journey and when they started maybe it was maybe you could still get seven percent yields right and now maybe maybe that's for that type of property it's maybe not possible so things are changing very quickly and you know the people who are going to be more successful through, through this period are the people that are going to be able to be quick on their feet and can continue to move to market conditions so anyway Good luck out there. Have fun, and um, as always, we really value your feedback. Gabby and I absolutely love it. So, um, you know, we're 100 and I don't know, 120, 130 episodes in to this podcast. We've been doing it for a while now, and the thing that actually the thing that motivates us to continue to do the podcast and to continue to share insights and ideas and stuff that I don't know people seem to get value out of is the feedback that we get from you guys. It's really important to us because it helps us to know that whether we're serving you well or any other things that you might want us to cover. So make sure you reach out, let us know, hello at au, And, of course, make sure you like, rate, review, share um, this podcast and help us to get the word out to other people. Thank you so much for listening. You're the best. You and you and you and you and you. Every single one of you are the absolute best. We love you. Goodbye.
1: Bye.